Oh, Dave, you look like you need a kip, old son. I do, I always do. Oh, you're not getting enough sleep. What you need, Ol, is a natural mat mattress. And what we'd like to talk about this time is Natural Mat Mattresses Mattress for Life initiative. Oh, what is that? It's easy for you to say that's what it is, right. Dave. Now look, look, Natural Mat make mattresses for life. And they mean it because they don't want their mattresses ending up in landfill, like five million mattresses in the UK do every year uh, these mattresses are made from natural biodegradable or recyclable materials and they're specially designed so that when you're done with them they can be broken down into their tiddly little bits and used again so when your natural mat mattress reaches the end of its life in about 10 years time that's a lot of sleeping Dave uh, you could do three things you can either refurbish it you can recycle it or indeed you can donate it to people who need it more than you do all via natural mat and they're the only company in the UK who do that stuff Fantastic stuff, Ol. Well, we will not be down about that, and that'll put a spring in our step as we look forward to lying down in autumn. Yes? Very good, Dave. So go to naturalmat.co.uk to check it out. And if you use the code BABBLE15, both online and in the showrooms, then you will get 15% off their natural mat beds, mattresses, toppers, and indeed bedding. Welcome to Sustainable 265. Welcome yourself all to Sustainable 265. It was COVID. I was, I did have the COVID and I've been unwell, but I'm back now and you're not going to hear me going on about it. It was awful, but I'm here now and I'm not going to say another word about it. Poor me. Brave little soldier that you are. Mm. We are. Am I doing this? Yeah, you're good at it. Okay. We are your friendly little environment podcast, ain't we? Dave. Yes, we are, yes. Uh, and uh, even though everything is moist and uh, deciduous, uh, we can still have a laugh about things, can't we, Dave? What are we having a laugh about this week? That's right. Oh, just because there are clammy things growing on other clammy things, that doesn't mean we can't have a little chuckle about it, don't it? Now, look, this episode is coming out in the wake of some significant political upheaval, all of which has gone to prove Dave even more wrong than he was before about stuff. We're not really talking about that. What we are talking about instead is something completely different. We are talking to our friend, conveniently, we are talking to our friend, Guy Shrubsoul previously of this parish appeared on episode 168 i think talking about his previous book who owns england now has a new book and a campaign out called the lost rainforests of britain and guy tells us all about the fact that you may not think oh you may not think that this awful little island has got a rainforest up it but it does all over the place and guy has been out with his gps and his detectoring badge and he's found loads of them his go-go gadget arms. Yeah, that's right. It is a superb little window into a lost past, but also a past that hasn't completely disappeared. It is still there, and it could come back. Uh, and Guy tells us all about it. Now, just 
the usual disclaimers. Uh, these are very much our own views. And hang on, I've missed a bit. Uh, we work for environment charities. That's what I meant to say. We work for environment charities. And these are very much our own views and Guy's own views. So if you've got anything, uh, you know, if you feel a bit icky or sticky uh, or branchy about anything we say, take it out with us, not with the people for whom we work. Yes? Yes, it's not their fault if you're not liking our views. Oh, um, so take it up with us I directly. think that is the third or fourth time I've seen you make that pun in relation to this episode. It's still funny, though, isn't it? It's still brilliant. Yeah. And the other announcement, of course, is that we are a listener-supported podcast. So if you like what you hear and you have the price of a coffee or a pint to chuck in to help Ol and Dave with the running costs of this esteemed organ, you can join our small but growing and loyal band of friends at wubblywubblywubbly.patreon.com slash sustainababble. Yes? Now, look, you've already listened to one advert. Thank you. And there is going to be another one, and it's going to be later in the show. We're not going to do it now, but it is for our lovely friends at UpCircle who do all sorts of lovely, excellent things, recycling, reusing, upcycling beauty products. So enjoy that when it comes. But now, enjoy a chat with Guy. And we started by asking Guy. We could not help but ask him whether he had been paying attention in any sense to today's news. Hello, how the dickens are you, old fruit? I am very well. It's been a a tiring day of political <laughs> chaos. Yes, now we are. We should point out we are recording this um, on the day that some political mayhem happened, and that doesn't narrow it down for you. The specific <laughs> political mayhem in question was the resignation of Liz Truss. Now, we didn't really got you on here to talk about that, but do you have any opinions about the resignation of Liz Truss, guy? F- Brilliant. Hooray. <laughs> <laughs> well, that concludes this episode of Sustainable. What took us so long? In the situation, I cannot deliver the mandate on which I was elected by the Conservative Party. I have therefore spoken to His Majesty the King to notify him that I am resigning as leader of the Conservative Party. I fear your services might be as useful as a barber's shop on the steps of the guillotine. No. You say you've got a book out again. Now, you I were do. last on Sustainable, episode 168, talking about who owns Britain. England. England, Britain. It's England. Whatever the hell it is. Um, go back and listen to that. Very good. Um, and now you've got another book out, which has the scandalous claim within it that Britain has got rainforests in it, which I don't think it does because like, rainforests are full of like parrots vampire bats cassowaries wildebeests saber-toothed tigers beetles and britain and like that so what are you talking about you remind me of a conservative mp i met the other day who was a similar rainforest denier um, <laughs> but no it's absolutely true britain does have rainforests and i was uh, to be honest i was as skeptical as as you were in fact i think um i think danny gross uh, campaigner at friends of the earth and he he actually was one of the People who were starting to tell me a couple of years ago, three years ago now, that um, Britain's got rainforests. I was like, yeah, right, Danny, yeah. Um, and I started looking into it. And, and then I moved to Devon, uh, which is where Not- I now live. Notorious rainforest hotspot, of course. Notorious yeah. rainforest hotspot. David Attenborough's always um, clambering with a lead well, uh, around. The thing is, he should be. He should be. And, and maybe he will, because there is going to be a new um, Attenborough series out about, um, I think it's Wild Isles. It's coming out oh. um, about Britain. 
Um, and I don't know if he, he might visit some temperate rainforest and it should be really good if he does, because this is the thing is that we are part of this enormous international biome ecosystem of temperate rainforest. But we love to pretend that we're just this little island, all with its own special ecosystems. We're, it's part of this British exceptionalism that we think that we're just entirely unique. And um, the thing is, we are unique in lots of ways. We do have these amazing habitats that we have here that thrive on the very raininess of, of Britain's notoriously rainy climate. But it's also part of this huge, you know, set of ecosystems around the world of temperate rainforests and, th and then um, the tropic, the much bigger tropical rainforests. And I, when I first started to really understand this and visit more of these places and read more about it and start to get my head around it, it was just this sort of like light bulb moment of, of thinking, well, actually, we've got something that's seemingly exotic, but actually is very British because it's, it's, it simply has evolved to cope with the and to thrive on the, the maritime, rainy, oceanic climate that we have in, the, in these isles. Um, but it also, it speaks to something much bigger and magical as well. You know, I grew up in the 80s with Save the Rainforests as this kind of clarion call of um, environmentalism at the time. And obviously people were talking about, as we still are, the, the, the plight of the Amazon and the tropical rainforests which are obviously vast and much bigger than what we have. There was a lot more of it to save in the 80s than there is now. Well, that's absolutely right. Yeah, very sadly. And, and, and you know, but, but the thing is, what, what I didn't realise is when I was growing up, and I think is, is quite an important thing, is that we had rainforests here. And I think that really speaks again to the sense that we, we kind of other environmental problems. They're about things that are happening in other parts of the world. Oh, them, them lot over there, over there rainforests we, we so we're all right here we've got this yeah. lovely green and pleasant land isn't it dreadful that those foreigners are doing bad things to their environment right 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 and obviously we all hope that lula will win the brazilian elections that bolsonaro will be defeated that the amazon will be will have a have another chance but i think we also need to really grapple with our own history of, of how we cut down our own rainforests here and how we as a, as a rich nation ought to be bringing back. That is why it's come down to the tree protesting site to solve the problem of the environment and maybe to mash up some police. And isn't that a thing that Bolsonaro has actually said? Like, I am loath to agree with Bolsonaro or anything, but as with all arseholes, occasionally <laughs> they say something and you're like, they might have a point. And he, you know, he said explicitly, hang on a minute, you know, the West, he's used a more pejorative term than that, but I won't repeat it here. But he's like, you cut down all your forests and now you're getting cross about us cutting down ours. But we're just doing what you did a couple of hundred years ago. And it's, it's, exactly. it's obviously disingenuous exactly. to an extent, but also... Kind of... Well, the thing is, and it's not just him, it does come up in international negotiations on climate and on nature and biodiversity, doesn't it? it it's something that is a sticking point, which is about what's the development pathway that people have followed throughout history. Is it just inevitably going to be one of you ravage nature and that's how you grow the economy? I mean, this is the debate we've just been having with Liz Truss and the Tory, you know, Tories at the moment is just like them cl claiming that to grow, you know, to grow the economy, environmental regulations just get in the way. And clearly it's nonsense. It's not the case. I think when it comes to, you know, we're starting to get that, we're starting to get uh, our heads around how to, uh, you know, be prosperous and have a low carbon economy or a zero carbon economy. I still don't think we've really got our head around how do we 
protect and restore nature and habitats and leave bits of the earth off limits to the economy, to the extractive economy. And I think we have to start grappling with that here. Right. So, okay. Now, look, you still haven't addressed my challenge, (laughs) which is if you go to a rainforest, you get covered in leeches and you fall in a swamp, right? So if you reckon we've got that happening in the UK, what's our one like? Because Right. Let me try and describe them to you. So so you're absolutely right. There are tropical rainforests and they're the rainforests that we think of when we hear the word rainforest. Parrots. Parrots. Macaws. Toucans. Beetles. Yeah, leeches. We've, we've got beetles. We've got beetles. We've definitely got beetles. We've got some really big beetles in our rainforests as well. I'll tell you about them in a bit. But basically, what we what we have here, so tropical rainforests are wet and hot. Yes. Temperate rainforests are wet and cool. So you get them in places like the Pacific Northwest coast of America. You get them in Argentina and Chile. You get them in New Zealand and Tasmania and Japan, and you get them in Western Europe. And most of all, within Western Europe, the best place for temperate rainforest is Britain and Ireland. Because we're wet. Because we're very wet and and cool, but quite, you know, mild mild climate. It's not like really cold. This is on the west, right? This is all along the west coast where it's rains in and uh, are brought in by the... Exactly, exactly. And so so I've, I've looked, because I'm obviously a massive geek, I've looked at the, literally at the rainfall patterns to a insane level now of, of where where you get rain in the uk and you astonish you know, me yeah you. Got, yeah yeah me, absolutely yeah you can't believe it can you but you know when when i was living in london you know we had yeah it was quite it's quite rainy but it's not that rainy when you move to devon there's literally twice the amount of rain in devon as there is in london uh, on, on, a, on an annual basis and um that is is what allows rainforests to actually thrive here rather than the sort of drier woods that we get in the southeast of, of england and we're talking a lot of rain. It's about 1.4 meters of rain in a year um, that makes a temperate rainforest. Cool, blimey! It's quite a lot. Does it rain? Does it rain more in a rainforest in Britain than Liz Truss has days in office in a year? Uh, uh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> but then most things happen for longer. <laughs> yes, exactly. All right then. So. Okay, let's say for a moment that we accept this absurd premise that there are rainforests. <laughs> I'm still not sure. In Britain, I can tell from Dave's face there is a degree of scepticism about that. But given that they're not the same as the tropical ones, they're not the ones with parrots and uh, you know macaws and swamps or whatever, how do you know if you're in one? How do you know it's not just a forest? Because right. most times I go into the forests in this country, it's wet and quite cool. But that doesn't make it a rainforest. How do I know no. I'm in a rainforest in Devon or anywhere else on the West? Apart from, being, apart from being really wet. Apart from being really wet, which is the best time to go see them as well. But what really marks out temperate rainforest is that there are not just the trees, but there are plants growing on other plants. So in any, uh, in any forest, okay. you know, you'll get trees and you'll get plants growing in the soil. But in a rainforest, like the ones you get in Britain, you have plants growing on the trees themselves, and they're called epiphytes, epiphytic plants. Oh, and so that, I play the epiphytic music. Mm. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Now we, now we can settle our way into this. We're going to come to this, by the way, but your book is just mucky. Some of these words, honestly, <laughs> some of these words. I've got some good ones for you. Um, but epiphytes, so epiphytes are not parasites. Epiphytes just simply exist. They use the trees as scaffolding, basically. And so you get 
trees that are covered in ferns that are just growing on the branches. They're just getting enough moisture from the air and from the, from the rainfall. You get mosses, you get lichens, you get liverworts. And basically, a rainforest in Britain looks green all year round. So you go into a, a, a nice woodland in the south of England in summer, and it's nice and green. Uh, but if you go into it in winter, generally speaking, it's quite, you know, it's quite drab and grey and the branches are bare. But if you go into a temperate rainforest, just everything glows green. And particularly so because it's all so much wetter in winter. And it's because of all these other plants that are growing on the surface of the trees. And they're complete ecosystems in themselves up in the air, up in the branches, which is, and they're just absolutely amazing places to be in, really uplifting places to be in. And you care why, out of interest? Like, I'm just, sorry, that came across very badly. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Across pretty badly. <laughs> what, I, what do you mean? Okay, what I mean is the following. Um, what do you mean? So what is what I mean? Like, no, that's also <laughs> that coming across better. Um, that flows better. What's yeah. it? So, okay. <laughs> no, so what? I'll do. So what? What, was it? So what? So, <laughs> so what? what? Yeah. So what is that? Is that they are absolutely amazing places to go to, and I, I challenge anyone to go to a temperate rainforest and not come away feeling just so much more alive and in love with the world. Because covered I think in, they are covered in sphagnum, probably. <laughs> <laughs> if you decide to shove your head into some sphagnum moss, which is sometimes something I sometimes do in rainforests, absolutely, just to get a good sniff of it. But yeah, I mean, they are amazing places. And, they, and the thing is, you don't have, if you want to detach yourself and be not emotionally attached to them, you can, you can also in, appreciate them for their sheer biodiversity. You can look on them and, and say, these are our pinnacle, these are the pinnacle of our woodlands in Britain, actually. They are, you know, the most biodiverse woodland habitat that we have in terms of the sheer number of species that exist really? in them. Absolutely, hundreds of species of lichens, mosses, and vascular plants. Yeah, and are they are they necessarily sort of ancient? Then are they presumably you you if you've got rainforest, it's only because it's been there a long time in this country. Is that is that the, be, true? the best? The best richest kinds are absolutely, but you can get regenerating rainforest, and that's okay. that's also one of the things that has fascinated me that gives me hope about them because whilst a lot of them are very ancient old growth forests and, and woodlands, um, and and some of them literally will form uh, will take centuries to form because some of the lichens that thrive there take ages to drip from branch to branch that's how they spread some of them ah. the spores literally just drip from one branch to another um but um but others will will regenerate very quickly actually they'll regenerate with jays spreading oaks uh, oaks oak saplings acorns uh, and the, some of the mosses will start to colonize them and the fungi will grow with them as well so yes they can be of all ages um but some of the most amazing ones are very, very ancient indeed. Oh, well, I don't think science knows, actually. Right, okay. So if you're so sure these things exist, go on, get a map. Get your right. map out. And right, you, right. you show me where these so-called rainforests... Oh, he's got a map with some rainforests on it. There you go. There's loads of them, look. Yeah, lots. All down lots. the left. All down the left of Britain. So this is where they thrive. Wales looks like one big rainforest there. Well, so barely well, any of Wales isn't rainforest according well, to the map. Well, this is the potential. This is this is where the climate is right. So basically, uh, okay. you're going from right. you're going from Cornwall up through Devon, up through Exmoor, up through Wales. As you see, as you say, a lot of Wales is has got enough rain for rainforest to thrive. 
It's particularly good in Snowdonia, where it's really, really wet, um, near Machadleth, which is where I used to live, uh, and up into, the, up into the Lake District, and then up into the western coast of Scotland, Argyll and the Highlands and so on. So yeah, that's where you get rain for us. But then obviously that gives you, that map there, which is in the front of the book, gives you a slightly deceptive picture of, of how many are left because actually whilst that area of Britain uh, is about it's about 20% of Britain that is suitable for temperate rainforest. But unfortunately, only 1% of Britain is actually temperate rainforest these days because we've lost so much of it. We've cut so much of it down. Are sheep the bastards? Because yes. a lot of those places on your map seem quite sheepy to me. They are a little bit sheepy. In fact, there are a lot sheepy. I mean, Wales, I think there is about three times as many sheep in Wales as there are people. Wow. There's 600 sheep. sheep. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of sheep. About 9 million, I think, sheep. But like, serious question, because presumably, as with most biodiversity, if you've got sheep grazing the hell out of the land, not much is going to stand a chance, right? So is that exactly, exactly? Is sheep, that one of the things that you're advocating in your in your book in your campaigning? Exactly, it's sheep and it's deer as well, and both of them are at unnaturally high levels. In fact, you know, arguably, sheep the naturally high level of sheep in Britain would be zero because obviously they uh, were domesticated and brought over a long, long time ago. But you know, modern numbers of sheep is just insanely off the charts, unnatural, and that's definitely causing a huge problem for the regeneration of our rainforests and of, of many other habitats as well. So where people listen to the babble from all over Britain. Give us, like, tell us one people might have heard of then, a little bit of rainforest, what okay. exists. What you got? Well, I'm sure you've heard of Wisman's Wood. Ah. Uh... I've got a bad admission about Wisman's Wood. Go on then. Oh, God. Well, well I, I might have broke it. Oh, So Wisman's Wood, if, if we're thinking about the same one, is in Dartmoor in Devon, That's isn't it? it? Yeah, That's yeah, it. yeah. We went, uh, we we called in there, me and Mrs. Dave, we called in there, and we I didn't know what it was. We were just, we were driving back, sorry, from uh, Cornwall to London or something, and we were like, let's stop off somewhere, right? So we looked at a map, and there was this thing called Wisman's Wood on a map, and we went there and went for a little walkie, and went to Wisman's Wood and didn't know anything about it, and it was this verdant green paradise of, like you say, you like go. plants on plants and moss on moss, and we were like, wow, amazing, and just kind of trampled all over it, because I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know. I know. Did you, even though you didn't know, if you saw something which you thought was verdant green paradise, <laughs> why do you think, well, I don't technically know what this is, so I'll trample on it. <laughs> I accept it does point to a failing in my temperament somewhat. Um, but I, did the, I shouldn't have done that, should I? Well, it's true that Natural England, who manage the woods, manage Wisman's Wood, have more recently said to people, we'd prefer it if you didn't go through the centre of the wood anymore, because it, it is quite well visited now. It's, mm. This is why I'm a bit reluctant to even talk about it, because it is one of the most well-known woods. I'd rather kind of tell you a bit about some other ones, maybe. But we can talk so about Dave can ruin them instead. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> well, I wonder what well, the thing is. This is a kind of serious point, right? Like, if if it's such a fragile environment and there's so little of it left, is it a good thing or a bad thing that more people might know about it as a result of your book? Is your book going to be the final nail in the coffin? Yes. Are you the bastards? Are you the bastards? <laughs> well, obviously, I have thought about that, and uh, it, you know what what I. Um, what I would say is that it's 
absolutely true that people can cause disturbance in these wonderful ecosystems. I did. And, and maybe, Dave, you were one of the bastards as well. But every time I've been to Wood, uh, and I stay on the outside of it now, as, as Natural England asks us to do, uh, and just looking from the outside, because you can still see a lot from the outside. I'm, I'm actually I'm actually pleasantly surprised by how little litter or disturbance there looks to be there. And um, I think, you know, apart from occasional kind of slightly idiotic pagans who seem to go there and carve uh, spirals in the moss in the old boulders, uh, thinking that they are making some sort of offering to the gods. And actually all they're doing is, is like destroying mosses that have taken decades to grow there. Apart from that, I would say the biggest threat to Westminster is not people at all. It is, like you said earlier, all, it's the sheep. Because I've never, I've never visited a rainforest and seen the visitors eating saplings. <laughs> so I, I think... Not that, unless they've had a particularly good night on the mushrooms. In, in, indeed, yes, yes. So, so I think, obviously, I would urge any, any Babel listeners, if you do choose to go and visit a rainforest, which I hope you do, but to treat it with obviously the absolute awe and reverence with which it deserves, not like Dave did. Um, but to to also just to, just to have a look at the habitat around you, just to kind of get absorbed in it and start to understand it better and think about what actually has like affected it. Because actually it's industrial agriculture ultimately that has caused many of the biggest problems in our in our ecosystems in Britain. Oh, look at your peachy skin. But it won't stay that way because it's getting dark and you're going to become a vampire. That's why you need to start looking after your skin and you need UpCircle. Yes, we are back again to talk about UpCircle Beauty. Oh, they are an award-winning, sustainable and refillable skincare brand whose brightening serums and moisturising creams are perfect for winter skin, even yours. Oh, they tick all the boxes. They are organic, 100% recyclable and they are circular. What means they use byproducts of ingredients from other industries in their skincare range. For example, fruit from the juicing industry or maple bark from the lumber industry. Oh, and since we last spoke, they've got 20,000 five-star reviews. There are over 40 countries. These guys are here and they're going to stay. If you still haven't tried them, you can use the code BABBLECIRCLE for 15% off at upcirclebeauty.com. I was, as you talking and as I read your book, I think I might have been to one of these places. I, I remember me and Mrs. Ole, I think it was Exmoor rather than Dartmoor. But would that still... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Figure? Yeah. And I remember camping by a river, which I think you're allowed to do. I think like there, if you're... Because there's certain bits of England where like if you're out of sight and you move on before early morning, it is actually allowed. Anyway, whatever. We I was there and, and there was... There was exactly what you described, like that that sort of permanently wet stuff, and and the grass around all of the old oaks was kind of wispy, and yeah, yeah, yeah. and it did have a sort of mystical, magical kind of carpety feel, rather than your kind of common or garden grass. And I, yeah. I definitely remember. It. I remember thinking, this is a bit different, and you know, it's by the river. Maybe that's just why it's different. But yeah. looking back, I think I might be in one of these rainforests. So, yeah. Was I feeling was I feeling something uh sort of profoundly unique to these places by 
experiencing that sort of mysticalness because or even the mythicalness there's a lot tied up in it right you, you are a bit of a hippie though like you come over <laughs> I am a bit of a hippie. you come over all peculiar if you go up the stairs too quick this, this is true this is true this is true but oh yeah go on tell us no tell i us think you're, you're you're a bit of a hippie and you're oh, massively, massively, you know, massively into all of this right absolutely tell us what. but i i think I, I think you're definitely onto something and i think there is something just inherently beautiful about these places i think there's something um that is amazing about being in a, in a in a properly fully functioning ecosystem not just a bit of green lawn but one that is really diverse that's full of all these different species um and when you start looking at the history of our rainforests in britain you do start to see that they are completely intertwined with our mythology with our legends with our oldest stories and I don't think it's just hippie to be to, to start to take an interest in this because actually I think it says something really profound, which is that past cultures, past societies that have lived here have been uh, have have been enchanted by them as as we are today. Um, if we go into one and, and and they have venerated them, and you and you can see this going back as far as the Celts. You know, there's there's the Celtic Druids, and Druid is, means uh, oak seer. Celtic deru, deruid means oak seer. And we know from some of the Roman writers who were around at the time, obviously when the Roman invasion happened in Britain, that they were talking about how the Druids found, uh, venerated these oaken groves, these groves of oak trees. And, um, uh, you know, there's this whole kind of, you start to look into things like the Mabinogian, which is the Welsh oh, book lovely. of there collection of stories. I bet you don't so know what a good. Mabinogion is, do you, Al? <laughs> I've never heard of a Mabinogion. You would, that's because you haven't is read the on... beautiful chapter of Guy's book that interweaves a story of beautiful Welsh woodland <laughs> with the story of the Mabinogion, which is yeah, uh, yes. bloody, bloody lovely. Well, bloody lovely Welsh mythology, that is. Tell us it more. Is lovely. Well, there is, there is a wonderful, wonderful set of stories in the Mabinogion. In fact, the first four books of the Mabinogion are called The Four Branches, of the Mabinogic, which in itself gives you a sense of how trees are interwoven with um, with early Welsh history. And, you know, as we saw from that map of Wales, a lot of Wales can be and, and probably was once temperate rainforest. So casting your mind back to the sort of dawn of the Celtic era, of te- Celtic age 2,000 years ago, and spooling on through the last next 1,000 years of when the Mabinogian was probably written down, it, you start to see this ecosystem creeping out from behind these stories. And there's this uh, amazing character, one of the heroes of the Mabinogian called Gwydion, who is essentially a wizard, a shape-shifting wizard. And his name translates as born of trees. So he, again, is this basically this character who is getting his, his power, his magic from the rainforests. He takes the branches and the, and the flowers of the oak and the flowers of the broom and the flowers of the meadowsweet, and he weaves them into a woman who is called Bloodoweth, and she becomes one of these characters in one of the one of those stories as well. So there's all of this mythology woven through it. And the last thing I'll just say about this is that also there's this amazing old Welsh poem called The Battle of the Trees. And the Battle of the Trees is when Gwydion the wizard animates an entire forest to fight against the armies of hell. Yeah. And 2000, well, a thousand years at least before Tolkien wrote about the Ents and Fangorn Forest, uh, you know, and the march of the Ents upon Isengard and Saruman. You had the Celts um, and the Welsh bards telling these stories of animated trees uh, marching out to defend Earth from from peril, which is just absolutely wonderful. <laughs> 
Get a haircut, hippie. <laughs> so you are a mapper. You like maps. <laughs> and your first book, Who Owns England, was all about you deciding to do some guerrilla mapping of stuff, like who actually does this, right? And this book is about that too. Perhaps not quite in the same way, but it's about you going, well, look, in theory, these things are here and I'm like going to find them. So how did you do that? How do you map where some rainforests are and what did we think they were before? Just like wet forests or what? Anyway, yeah, sure. ignore that question. <laughs> how, did you map them? how did you do it in practice? How did you find them? Well, two two ways. So I started out by, this was sort of um, in between lockdowns uh, was uh, I, I basically got really interested in visiting these places um, when we started li- living here in Devon. And I thought, well, hang on, there's probably loads of other amazing woods that people have visited that might offer clues to where these fragments of temperate rainforest are because, you know, whilst they are spread over quite a wide area, they're tiny little fragments. So it's about tr- really trying to trying to look for these clues wherever they, wherever they occur. And um, so I decided to start a blog, um, Lost Rainforest of Britain, and um, set up a Google map uh, where I started to record where Louise and my partner and I had gone for visits to them and to start to collect in anything that people sent me. And I sort of put out a tweet saying, if you want to send me, you know, pictures of what you think might be Lost Rainforest that you've visited, um, please do. And I sort of thought, well, maybe this will appeal to some, some geeks like me, some, some botanists people who might be interested in this stuff. And I ended up getting hundreds of submissions, hundreds and hundreds. And not all of them were, you know, definitely bona fide rainforest. I'm sure some people in, no, in Norfolk sent me a few, which are a bit like, mm, not sure about that, mate. Just a soggy wood, mate. Yeah, but, you know, <laughs> but I had loads and loads of them in the right, in the right sort of areas. And I was like, this has got to be something. It's getting onto something here. So, so that, that's, that's actually this has continued. Loads of people keep sending me stuff and I've got a massive backlog, which I'm uh, slowly working with, with someone else now who's, who's very kindly helping to, um, to upload more. Um, but they should be done by the end of the year. But basically, um, uh, I then then later on moved on to to doing a kind of uh, version two of, of the map, which is to try and to take because obviously there are some fantastic ecologists and botanists who have been obviously studying these these habitats for for decades. There's a, a, a particularly lovely couple who I must name check called Ben and Alison Averis, and they are they're not um, not just biologists; they're bryologists. And that means that they study bryophytes, which are the specific organisms that grow on temperate rainforests, things like liverworts and mosses. So they are uber niche, but absolutely <laughs> astonishing, wonderful, dedicated, eccentric characters who, who have surveyed so, so many habitats in Scotland and elsewhere. So anyway, so I, I tried to start to kind of use the data sets that have been pieced together by amazing um, botanists like them but piece them together in a, in a kind of complete map of, of Britain. And it was, it was pretty tricky. I worked with a, um, a professional map maker called Tim Richards. And actually, uh, I think actually by the time this um, podcast goes out, there should be a new map out, um, which will be online. Be where online. will people go? Uh, they will go to, well, it's, if they just go to the lost rainforest of Britain.org website, they'll, they'll find a link to it there. Um, but it will be um, hopefully, uh, hopefully out in the guardian as well at the weekend. So Yeah. Should be uh, should be then possible to then see a bit more of the information that we've pieced together, and really just trying to kind of knit together information about you know the climate, rainfall, metalfish rainfall records together with all this information on ancient woodlands. Hello, I'm Chris Packham, and you're listening to Sustainer Babble. 
I just think it's a mirage. I think you're presenting a very acceptable kind of ecological face to what is actually a kind of smut quest because <laughs> there is some filth in this book. This book seems to me an excuse to write about things like lustly cleave. <laughs> and at one point you confess, and I'm not sure you should have written this down, but you confess to having done a goat, I think. <laughs> so do you want to, I mean, it's a safe space-ish. So do you want to just kind of share, Ooh, I share think the this truth? Is, is it this time is, for the truth? This this is possibly my entry for um, what is it the bad sex awards of, yes. um, of the, the literary world, which yeah. uh, you know the kind of particularly purple passages that, uh, that people should never have ever written. Um, but mine involve lichens, so it's, it's totally fine. Here's one. Here's one. Uh, in some of our dampest woods, <laughs> I've seen huge clumps of bracken protruding from standing trunks where a spore has lodged itself in a knot hole. Well, the thing family is... Family podcast, Family Dave. podcast. Family the, podcast. The, the thing is, is that I do find myself going to our own forest and just going, Whoa, look, look at, at how nodules wet it on is. that. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Since you just said it's a family podcast, I maybe shouldn't say this, but the thing that I didn't really write about is the extremely wet clitters of Dartmoor. Sorry, hmm? the, the wet, the wet clitters of Careful Dartmoor. I, 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 I'm merely referring to the Dartmoor name for a boulder field. It's, it's called a clitter on Dartmoor. Oh, okay. Hard to find, are they? You dirty old man. We just edited out the last minute of that podcast, just for just for just for everyone's benefit. We're going to move on, and we're going to ask Guy before we before we let Guy go and play with the thing you just told us about. You are not just an author of your book. What's your book called, by the way? The the Lost Rainforest the Lost of Rainforest of Britain, and it is out when. It's out next Thursday, twenty seventh of October. Twenty seventh October. Go and buy it. Um, you're not just an author; you are a campaigner. And on the back of, I mean, you sort of mentioned it in passing, on the back of associated to around this book is a campaign because you want to change things. So what is it you want changed? Well, uh, I don't think it's good enough to just, uh, you know, get captivated by these amazing places and, you know, enjoy them. I think we need to be doing more to protect them and to bring them back because um, clearly what we've got left here is fragments of a once mighty ecosystem. And... Um, you know, we, we can we can talk about saving the rainforests of Brazil and Indonesia and Central Africa all we like. But actually, um, you know, when we are a rich country like ours that has ultimately got rich by having a very extractive, destructive form of economics for a very long time uh, that has cut down our own temperate rainforests over the centuries, I think we need to be also showing that it's possible to bring back and restore some of these lost ecosystems and it's possible to be you know a modern prosperous economy alongside all this amazing nature and um so one of the things that i wanted to do was to try and open people's eyes and, re and enchant people with this this magical ecosystem but inspire people to try and rise up and bring it back as well so bringing back our rainforest has been this kind of campaign for the last um year and a half or so as well i've been working with um a group of uh, of, of, of people who uh, work for an organization called Seahorse Environmental. They've been doing loads of stuff to help with um, lobbying politicians. And we've got, um, uh, we've got MPs to actually talk about temperate rainforest in Parliament for the first time. It had never been talked about um, in the House of Commons before. 
uh, we managed to get um, government ministers and uh, government officials to talk about it and put it into official documents. So just simply getting this kind of base level of awareness amongst politicians um, has been, you know, part of the challenge, I think, of this. And obviously, you know, the recent chaos and uproar has not been very conducive to getting anything useful done. But I, I just think this is something that's going to outlast and has to outlast any government, any particular complexion of government. It's about something that's a generational and ultimately a centuries-long challenge, which is to to really, you know, bring back a, a lost ecosystem and to do something that we will perhaps, you know, start to initiate something that we will never see the end of. We will never see the the actually fruits of that campaign. But we've got to start somewhere because once you once you allow these fragments of rainforest to start to regenerate and spread, then nature is going to be on our side. It's going to start to thrive and flourish and bring with it all these other, you know, species that have been uh, left in these tiny islands of rainforest. But allowing them to spread out and, and reconnect is, is something that we really need to be doing. We, we had just on there. We had a, we had a question from uh, one of our Patreon listeners, Francesca. Francesca, um, we asked Patreon listeners for questions. Francesca wants to know, like, what in practice should you do about like the bits of woodland that we've got left? For example, Francesca mentions a place in, in Cumbria called Manistee Forest, which has got rhododendrons all over it, right? And like Francesca's been out there sort of pulling these species up, but she wants to know, like, is this good should we leave invasive species now do we pull them mm. out like if we take all these invasive species out do we know the answer to that stuff like what we should do given that they're they're evidently thriving there and presumably providing some sort of habitat for something like what yeah tricky well this is this is rhododendron is one of the big problems really that our temperate rainforests face they um rhododendron is an invasive species it's not uh you know ordinarily native to britain it was brought over um basically by the Victorians who, in their infinite wisdom, thought that it looked very pretty in their gardens and also was a brilliant cover for pheasants. So that they, all the Victorian aristocrats, uh, introduced them into It always comes back woods. to that, doesn't it? It does. It comes back to, well, it comes back to land ownership again. And, and this is the thing. I think it's, you know, we talked earlier about the impact of visitors on, on you know, on, on, on rainforests. But I, I do think we also have to look at, uh, do a, you know kind of look at the power imbalance in how uh, how 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 a small elite of big landowners have managed to really really screw up ecosystems far more than uh, most of us have, and and rhododendron is one of those ways. And so I, I definitely say to Francesca that to, to carry on pulling up um, rhododendrons because they are an absolute menace. And the thing is, is that they they don't actually provide a habitat for hardly anything else. They are pretty toxic, even. Even if bees, um, even the bees that do visit the flowers of the very pretty purple flowers that rhododendron produces, they produce this uh, toxic honey, which is called mad honey. And oh, if you no eat, way. if you eat mad honey, you do kind of go absolutely bonkers. Um, I think it's been used as a kind of uh, a chemical weapon in, uh, by, in previous like oh, eras. Shut of history. up, guy. Yeah, 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 <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure it's the Romans or someone like that did it. They used it. Look it up. Look it up. Um, but basically, rhododendrons are really bad, and if what they do is they shade out everything else because they're evergreen, right? They they they, shed, they you know they're green all year round, um, but not in a good way. Not like our rainforests are. They are, they are shading out all of the other native species that would grow in our rainforests, so nothing else can grow underneath them. So definitely, we need to pull them out. 
and then we need to keep them out and then we need to allow other things to come back in their place. Guy, thank you so much for coming on here. One thank last one last me. time, what is the name of your book? The Lost Rainforests of Britain. What is the name of your website? Uh, lostrainforestsofbritain.org That's it, I think. Um, how it. do people keep in touch with you? How can they follow you on the socials, do all of that sort of stuff? They can come and tweet at me, at Guy Shrubsong, if they wish. Very good. And I might even reply. that is just about it for another episode of Babble thank you very much Guy for coming back on Babble uh, writing another book what have I done in a time since Guy's been on and written another book and launched another campaign I suppose I've done quite a lot of Babbles a lot of Babbles you've been shat on um, <laughs> shat, in, the, in the with nail sense shat on by Tories shoveled yes. up by Labour that's right yes uh, yes no well done Guy superb stuff beautiful stuff do go and buy his book buy it from the places that he said um, it's lovely and got some beautiful pictures and illustrations in it as well it looks and feels nice uh, thank you Dave for babbling thank you as ever to Dickie Moore for the music begins ends and into twinkles this podcast and to Arthur Stovall for the logo which adorns our stuff including t-shirts that can be ordered from www.sustainababble.fish you can get in touch with us you can tell us what you thought of the show we are on the internet at Hello at sustainababble.fish. That's the email. That's you the can, corner of the internet you find you can us, is it? Facebook at us at sustainababble yeah. if you search for that. And we're at hello on the Twitter at the Babble Wagon. <laughs> yes? <laughs> sure. Uh, now, uh, we are a listen supportive podcast, as mentioned. So please do consider dishing us out some cash if you can uh, by going to Patreon, P A T R E O N dot com forward slash sustainable and if you can't or won't then please instead leave us a lovely review five stars ideally less than that don't bother uh, so five stars and write something with your hands that says how great we are because then the algorithms think you're real so do it wherever you like but we really mean itunes top banana all right you are old bean i shall see you next week until then i expect to see you covered in spagnum next time I see you yeah I want you to be I usually am yeah that's right I want you to be late because you found some moss in a place you didn't realise it was I like that that seems very very likely okay bye bye hey on hey on hey on hi Dave hey on hey on yes little uh, Halloween themed oh. joke for you yeah that's okay. a week a week early I know but you know it's a little a it little seem to get earlier doesn't it like oh you become... want to be in America mate in America well, I that... was there in the middle of September and they got all their pumpkins with faces and stuff out but that's Bonkers. what I think is happening I think it's becoming another of those America things where you anyway, start months out anyway crazy this is Dave's joke hour so you Sorry. Just shut up and listen okay right hey all yes hey all I taught a wolf to meditate. Did you? Yes, yes, did, yes. Now he's a werewolf. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure that even works, but... <laughs>
thought you were going to say something about how he was howling. Oh, yeah.